Hi, and welcome back to Beyond All My Expectations. It's me, Nikki, and I'm here today with Dino Mize Lamti. Hi, Dino, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. How's the day been? It's the same as the usual days, I think, at the moment. Just, you know, a lot of work from home. I'm, I'm, I'm looking out to brilliantly beautiful blue sky, which is nice, but I haven't been outside yet, so disappointed with that. Yeah, I think it's been a hard day to get outside. It's really weird. Um, I feel like you start you start really good. You start really well, rather. That's horrible English. You start really well um, on Monday because you force yourself, yeah, I'm going to take a lunchtime walk or something. And then by Wednesday, you're just like, I, I'm up. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, that's um, it. That's exactly yeah. it. But that's the beauty and the benefit of offices, isn't it? Because you, you're forced to basically go out. You're forced to basically go and get lunch from somewhere local or whatever else. Yeah. And, and by doing that, it makes you it makes you healthier. It does. And I think sometimes, yeah, I think I used to walk from if I had meetings, you know, in another building or with another company, I just walk it so I could just really get that fresh and exercise. But now it's just I'm like, I just schedule meetings back to back and I'm just sat down and like, I guess it's yeah. just not the healthiest. OK, so I'm staring at your background and I can see robots on the walls behind you. So I just have to ask what's going on, you know, what's going on in that background? What's the story? It's quite a straightforward one, actually. I mean, people often mistake where I'm sitting for being some kind of office or WeWork because it's, yeah. quite, it's quite a simple and, well, I guess, designed. But it's actually my kid's bedroom. And, you know, the, the robots on the wall are for them, for their pleasure. We put it up, we put up the prints ourselves just to, you know, decorate the room. But the reason why I work in my kid's bedroom is because, you know, we did their room up quite nicely and it's just a nice, comfortable place to work, actually. But also the door is such that I, you know, it's one of the few kind of rooms in the house that the kids, I can close the door. And and actually up until recently, the door was a little bit broken. So you could only open and close it from the inside out. So when I used to close it, the kids couldn't come in, you know, without me letting them in. So I like that fact. But, but unfortunately, I, I fixed the door quite recently and they can come bursting in at any point now again. So... I should probably, you know, every now and then I move to another room because of that fact. But yeah, for now, it's good while they're out of the house. I love that story. I think, yeah, the energy of working from your kid's room. I think it's it's, it's been interesting to see where people are working at home because you've had to just make a space into a workspace. But I feel like you your kids have like the perfect, like I'm in a fake office background. They've really nailed the, you know, I'm serious, but I'm having fun vibe. And the prints are gorgeous. I really love a robot graphic wall. Um, not staring at this all right then i feel like we've been chatting so much and we haven't done a proper intro so as always i'm going to hand it over to dino to introduce himself and tell us you know who he is dino the person we already know he's a father but who's dino the businessman tell us some more about yourself please dino thank you so i'm the founder of my company that i launched um, nearly a couple of years ago called the barbershop we describe ourselves as a strategy-led creative company that work with purpose-led and purpose-seeking brands and we we talk about working within the field of data distribution and disruptive ideas. Ultimately, we're problem solving for clients using kind of media, creative and technology and bringing everything slightly closer together so it works much more seamlessly to strategy, really. So, yeah, we've um, been in existence for, I say, nearly two years in terms of that's when the company officially kind of like was formed and we, we started to work with clients. But unofficially, we... We, we did a bit of a PR thing about 18 months ago. So we were in stealth mode for six months. And of course, you've got last year, which was the COVID year. So it's just like, it all seems a bit weird, really, when I talk about how long we've actually been in business for. Yeah, I think, to be honest, having your business really just start or really be trying to take off last year, it must have been quite intense. And I think we're definitely going to get into that. But the first question I want to ask is the name of the barbershop, because I saw, you know, the barbershop and I was like, oh, is this something to do with, you know, hair care and is focused on like the male space. So why the name the barbershop and why? Yeah. Why did you attach that to a business that's about strategy and marketing and, you know, and is it basically an agency, not basically, but is in the agency space? Yeah. So there's a few reasons why I, I refer to the name the barbershop as being inspiration behind, you know, deciding on on it as a name. When you name anything, you become incredibly kind of like aware of any type of name that, you know, you're suddenly constantly thinking about names and everything in, in life. Whenever you go out, you're just looking at everything with, a, with another pair of eyes going, would that be a good name for a company name? Why would it be good? Why would it be bad? And I was while I was in, in, in employment, I was, you know, thinking and planning about, you know, doing my own thing. And I remember someone coming and presenting to me and talking about the product they were selling, which was, they referenced the idea of, uh, they had screens inside chicken shops 
and they they referenced the analogy they used an analogy of barbershops and they talked about how you know they were like these kind of social kind of cultural you know hot spots where people come with all sorts of different opinions and stuff and congregate and I was like yeah I love that I love that kind of idea about you know a barbershop but also you know in wandering around again that whole noticing thing I was noticing more and more barbershops that were just like beautiful in design all unique all different and you know cropping up and popping up everywhere and then I read something about that in 2018, barbershops were the fastest growing businesses in the UK. So I thought wow. that's a very interesting, yeah, very interesting thing in terms of, you know, start a business with the hope of it being, you know, fast growth and all the rest of it. And you kind of like think, you know, it makes you think about, okay, well, why is that? And it is that thing. It's that relationship that the people have with the barbers, the thing, the reason why it's survived so long and it's almost got better and it's got, you know, is because it's that kind of like, you know, you, you only ever return to your barber, you're loyal to your barber, but you only ever return if, you know, they do an incredible job with the tools that they're given, which are the similar and same tools as everyone else has. But, you know, each barber can do a completely different creation with, with that same set of tools. So I like that kind of idea. And also the model in which we were forming the company that I had in mind was almost like how each barber has this kind of independent kind of client base in a sense. They all work in the same kind of place, but they have this, their book of, you know, their own clients. And I, and I was setting up something that had a bit of a partnership approach to it, where senior people could have their own strong client relationships, but still be tied into the company and have this kind of network effect of people we work with. And uh, the other couple of reasons, which I, I, I referenced, which are slightly more comical reasons are my middle name is Desmond. So anyone over a certain <laughs> age will know why that's relevant. And, yeah. and the final the final reason is that when I think and I thought about it was that the first ever business that I kind of like launched was a barbershop was an actual barbershop. But that was off the back of cutting hair for friends and, and family. And my brother decided to he did the same thing and he decided to print some business cards and go further afield. And I did the same thing. So he named his business Rough Cuts. I called mine Slim Trims. And, and then we started to compete for people. And it, ultimately, we, you know, we cut hair in, in our family home. But people that we you know, it got to the stage where people that we didn't know, I guess, would come for haircuts and we'd get paid for that. So, yeah, that was a little kind of side hustle while at school. Okay, there's so, so many layers to this. And I love, you know, that the name has so much life and has the personal life of you actually have been in a sense, or you created the space of a barbershop within your home, but also, you know, the link to barbershops as a fast growing business, because I don't think I really paid attention to barbershops until I went to the theatre and saw Inua Elms in the Barbershop Chronicles, if no one's seen that, it's a fantastic play. And it had me thinking about, you know, what the barbershop does signify for people who, you know, cut their hair and, you know, what that space is. And the way the place also is set up is the camaraderie, it's you know, the conversation, but it's also people bringing their different business ideas and bringing and trying to sell themselves. And it was really interesting to think about the barbershop in that way. So I think when I saw the name, the barbershop, and I was like, you linked it to an agency, I was like, this is interesting. This is layered. But also it makes me stop and think, okay, you know, what's going on here? This is the, the energy I'm getting from that name is this is fostering community. It's not, it doesn't just feel like a business name. It feels like a communal name. It feels like a shared, shared sort of venture, which you've explained in terms of this network approach to working that you've adopted. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and the other kind of important thing, I think, is, you know, when you, you, know, you, you do and create your own business, the one kind of privilege you have, I guess, is that you can decide who you work with and who you don't. And I think that it's, it's obviously a hard call in the sense because, you know, your first priority is earning money and creating business and, and just working. But anyone that's ever had a client kind of agency type relationship has realized that it's not even about the brand that you're working on. It's about the people that you're working with. That is the most important thing. It's the biggest determinant of whether you're going to be happy with that work or, or really disappointed by the work that you're doing. So, so when you start something from scratch and you can really, you're not inheriting anything the, the the best thing you can do to yourself is by hold high standards about the kind of people you really want to work with and keep yourself to that and i think that kind of relationship with the with barber is a similar kind of thing you know if 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 the barber if you don't like your barber then you don't have to come back if you, if the barber doesn't like you as a client they can also be a bit like no no we you know i don't do that kind of hair or whatever it is or i don't do that style or whatever it is you know in some way kind of like nicely kind of like select the customer base and keep it friendly in that sense. And that's what we set out to do really, in a sense, work with people who, you know, understand the value of good relationships, respect what you do, and but also have a greater kind of purpose about what they do in terms of their business and what they're trying to do in the world. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's 
awesome to hear. I mean, I've, I have had the experience of working in agency and I was fortunate enough to love it because, again, the philosophy was, you know, we're choosing people to work with that we believe in their business, but also we're happy to show up to our meetings and have a conversation and it doesn't feel like we're just, you know, butting heads. It feels like a collaborative effort. So I do want to talk here a bit more about, you know, the barbershop and your... I guess, decision to found the barbershop beyond, you know, you've spoken about the naming and, you know, the space you were, but you came from being a strategist and you have very extensive experience being a strategist and you moved into the world of being a founder. Now, these two things are not the same, let's put it like that's the reality. So what was it about the, you know, your role in strategy that made you think it's time for me to move into the founder space of, you know, this industry? Yeah, so I think that the industry has a problem in that it, very quickly pigeonholes people okay. and it makes them kind of like you know specialists and experts in certain things which i think is kind of great for the industry you know the, the agencies let's say but not necessarily great for the individual yeah. because i think that actually in terms of certainly as we've found out in you know in the last you know whatever 10 years or so the emergence of digital and, and what all that's created in terms of all the different kind of like options and variables is that actually the, the, the one true advantage is agility and flexibility about the way in which you work and the way in which you think and who you collaborate with and how you solve, solve problems in a very kind of like complex world, you know, how you, how you make sense of it all and, uh, and come up with the right kind of solutions. And often if you're just too much of a specialist in one kind of narrow thing, it can become quickly outdated before you know it. And then suddenly your skills are, are rendered a little bit useless. You know, that, that's the danger, they could be. And a lot of people then go through you know, confidence crisis or whatever, and, and have to kind of like, you know, try and retrain and learn something else. And that's a very kind of difficult way to do it. But, you know, for me, the 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 thing that kind of like got me interested in strategy, and I mean, it's important to say that the first job in the industry that I took was a, as a press buyer. And there were, there were a number of different reasons why I took that job, because I was offered, you know, a couple other positions. I had a choice in, in which, you know, from a couple of other different media agencies. I mean, so hang on, first of all, the, the first thing to rewind and to say is that I tried to get into creative agencies. I wanted to be, you know, ideally I was like, I wanted to be a creative, but I didn't have the qualifications to necessarily be a creative. I didn't realize that you had to probably, you know, have a portfolio and you know, gone to some kind of art school. I did economics and philosophy at university. So, you know, I went in thinking, oh, I could get into the advertising industry and be creative. And it was like, no, hang yeah. on a minute. There's no chance. Where's your, ba yeah, where's your, I guess, portfolio, where's your backing? Yeah, but, but yeah, that's it. But even I think it was even worse than that, really, because I thought, you know, I I'd quickly realized that and then changed my, my mind and opinion. I thought I'll just get on a grad scheme and, you know, be kind of like account manager or something. And then everywhere I applied, I got rejected to from I didn't even get, you know, an interview. I just kind of got letters back saying, you know, sorry, you, you weren't good right enough. now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you weren't good enough. But, you know, it, it was just like uh, the ad agencies that I applied to were all the big names that you can imagine. But they were so stereotypically looking after a certain kind of Oxbridge person which unfortunately I think is, you know, is in part some of their downfall in a sense, you know, because they, you know, that's who they want as account managers, but we're in a creative industry where you should want everyone to be creative, you know, and yeah. different and you know, bring, bring new things into the table all the time. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm inquisitive, curious, problem solving. And so, but I went to, I started my career at Mediacom and I started as a press buyer, uh, largely because of the company and the people that, you know, I was interviewed by. I was more motivated by the energy of those people and the, you know, and what I saw as uh, being somewhere that I could probably enjoy working at and a, and a company that I thought was going places. Yeah. And it and absolutely was, you know, that was back in like 2002 and it just kept on growing ever since then. But, but very quickly, you know, as much as I kind of like the certain elements of the, of the press buying kind of job, I would look to other roles in the company and, and be, that's more me, you know, the planning, the, the strategy, that was where I, I enjoyed, you know, because I, I thought you could be a little bit more kind of creative in thought and solutions and deal with a, a wider kind of like selection of problems and challenges rather than being quite so narrowly focused. So I moved internally to planning and then I, and then I you know, getting into strategy was really difficult in, in, in a company like that. But I then took a job at Michael and Bednash, which was strategy was, was all they did and, and kind of like learned, you know, by jumping into the deep end, I guess. And, and then, you know, you, you quickly learn that, well, it isn't necessarily something that you just need, you know, years and years of experience of doing. It's it's almost a, a way of thinking and approaching problems that, you know, once you kind of get it, you know, it, it doesn't just kind of like stop, you know, start and stop in a set and set place. But then once you kind of get that, then you 
I guess you become a very good strategist quite quickly because you know you 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 constantly hungry for more information, new things that come about. You're like, right, I need to understand that. I need to understand how that works, how that's going to impact what you know what I'm doing already, or what I'm recommending, what I'm suggesting. So I guess in terms of you know when it came to okay, am I going to start my own business or whatever else? I always wanted to be doing some kind of business thing in terms of my own business in some way or form, and it just didn't ever seem possible in the industry. When I started to work at the Seven Stars, I was working at PhD Rocket before that, and I got approached and was headhunted to work at the Seven Stars and build a strategic department, effectively, and help to kind of grow the company from like twenty-five people to one hundred and sixty-five. And that journey, wow, was very kind of like yeah, it was very kind of informative about how you can grow a company in in this industry now, you know, because the, again, the world was changing a little bit in terms of how media was bought. So size was no longer the advantage that we were making it out to be you know, all those years that I've been working in the industry, it wasn't just about the bigger that you are, the better. So, so I kind of like saw it from the inside about how it was possible, you know, clients were looking for different kinds of relationships and the media was changing. So, so, you know, you could achieve a lot by having effectively less resources, I guess. And, but also the value of, you know, kind of good client relationships and servicing and, and just that kind of personal kind of contact in a sense. I did kind of like leave the seven stars with a view of, not necessarily just going off and doing my own thing, but I, the, the place I went to, which I was headhunted again by you know, the CEO that I knew, it was only by the fact that he gave me a managing director position where I knew I, I was going to be doing things and learning things that I wasn't ordinarily you know, supposed to be doing at the going same time. Be, yeah. Yeah, but the, what, the, what was going to be very valuable for me when I did my own thing. And, you know, and that's, that's kind of like the, you know, the, the story of kind of like what happened, really. You know, I went there and I had to be exposed to certain things. That, that CEO didn't last that long, so, you know... He, he lasted about 10 months in the position and decided to leave. And at that point, it was a case of, right, what next? You know, I, I, I was on the journey with him because of his plan and his vision. Yeah. And actually the new CEO that came in didn't have the same plan and vision. And, you know, and, and I had no way signed up just to work for another kind of big group and just, you know, be part of this kind of some kind of machine. Yeah. So, so that's when I, you know, I started to yeah, think about the future. And, uh, and then there, there became the barbershop came out of it. I mean, you, I feel like you wrap up as though, you know, you thought about the future at the last point, but your career trajectory and how you thought about your career has been very strategic. And it feels like maybe consciously, subconsciously, you've had a mind towards ownership because of, you know, the journeys you've taken within the industry or do you think I'm reading too much into this journey? I think that a lot of people don't think that much about their careers and they get kind of like, you know, they just they just go along with, you know, the the, the direction of the wind in a sense. And, I, and that for me surprises me a little bit. You know, I mean, I've worked with a lot of people like that over the years, really, who, you know, only think about their, their, their careers when it's they're unhappy with where they're at, you know, mm. in terms of something happens that's a bit of a block or something, or they have a bad experience. You know, I was never like that. There wasn't a single place I left, let's say. You know, certainly I didn't leave Medicom because I was unhappy. I didn't leave Seven Stars because I was unhappy. I didn't leave Rocket because I was unhappy. I left because there's a more exciting opportunity yeah. to get me to where I wanted to get to, in a sense. You know, ambition to be, you know, I wasn't set, I didn't know necessarily in terms of, oh yeah, I want to be in this position or whatever else, but I just looked at the company that I was at and I was going, if I was going to stay in this industry, what's the preferable job? You know, what is the job yeah. I'm going to most And how do I, how do I kind of like get there? Or how do I get the experience to actually be there and get there? And I think that, you know, in terms of, I mean, my, my, my kind of my initial instinctive experience, which I still hold true now, when I started my career, I was probably like a lot of people are a little bit frustrated by the, the rate of progress in a sense. It seemed like, you know, I was doing a lot of the, you know, dog's body work for quite some time and you wanted to yeah. do more stuff. You wanted to contribute with ideas and you come out going, I've come from university. I've done this. I've done that. I've got ideas and thoughts and, you know, there's not really anywhere to kind of really deliver that. And, uh, and the industry definitely rewards you if you hang around long enough, you know, in a sense, and then you'd be able, you're able to contribute a little bit more. But I don't think it gets the most out of people at a young age. I don't yeah. think, I don't think it, it really uses them to their full potential. You know, we all, always see it, you know, when people, you know, start businesses, incredible businesses, there's, as a lot of digital social businesses have been started over the years and you've seen, you know, people were dropping out of university to start those kind of businesses. Yeah. They had the ideas, they had the thoughts, they just didn't necessarily have the backing or whatever. So they, they, they got it in some way or, you know, they were lucky or whatever else. But people are, are a lot better than you expect, in a sense, in, in most instances. And I think that, you know, often we just train people to do certain jobs that are beneath their ability. But we just we want them to do something quite mundane and, you know, and, and boring, and straightforward because the job needs to be done. But I yeah. think that, you know, I think what we, we don't do enough as an industry 
is get the right people to do those jobs, you know. So, you know, there are school leavers, for example, who do leave, who just want a job. That An admin focused yeah, yeah, admin role. Focused. And the problem is the industry doesn't often recruit those people. They recruit grads to do those jobs. And actually, we should be a bit more ambitious in terms of, of what we're expecting from the grads that we do recruit. You know, we should be looking at them as potentially people that could be running their own business in five years time, for example, and thinking, okay, well, what if they are that good? What if they are that ambitious? What if they can achieve that much? How do we create a, a world in which they can exist still within our company? You know, how do we make their trajectory that exciting so they don't feel they've got to leave to, to you know, do their, fulfill their ambitions. Yeah, that's the way I feel about it. I think that's a really interesting point. I don't, I don't think, you know, it's talked or spoken about a lot. And I, or when it's spoken about, there's a sense of you should be happy to do the grunt work. You know, you should, you should, you know, this is part of the journey. This has to be. And I think perhaps for certain industries, like it's important to do, like to spend that much time. That, and I'm going to quote foundational work because, you know, for instance, I think if you're an accountant, there's certain things you just have to make sure you, you know, don't get wrong at the foundational stage to progress. But when you're, I think, between the creative space, I do think, yeah, there is sometimes that issue of, you know, you're just going to send the emails and do the phone calls. And you're like, this is six months in. I like, I want to at least go into a meeting, you know. And sometimes it takes that long for you to even sit in a meeting and understand, you know, the ways that creativity is expressed within that company how you know something goes from idea to execution and I feel like perhaps there's a fast it's faster now because you know the new generation is very much like if I'm not happy here I'm going to move and people have social media to throw out their work and so people are getting satisfaction in different ways I think that's challenged the industry but I think yeah it's still quite a bit, a bit of a problem that needs to be addressed a lot quicker and it's also, it's also a money issue you know I understand you know it's easier to get one person to do the job of two <laughs> than to pay two people to do the separate jobs. But I think, yeah, there definitely needs to be a conversation about how we're using talent to make it to, for, to their most, yeah, to their best ability, really. Well, that's exactly it. And I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, when you look at the fundamentals behind most jobs, the core of it could be outsourced at a fraction of the price. Yeah. You know, you know to, to someone in another country that doesn't need client contact or whatever else, you know, that's the reality of that side of things which is unfortunate, really, if, if you know, if, when you boil down a job to just that. And as you say, in terms of the real kind of added value bit, is that understanding people dynamics, you know, client yeah. relationships, understanding how to add value to a business, how to think, how to solve problems, creativity, all that kind of stuff is the, um, the really important kind of like extra stuff. And in, in, often in businesses, we expose people to that stuff too late. You know, we kind of don't give them that permission. And, and I think that the sad reality is, is that technology has changed and the world has changed in which a lot of the things that were difficult in the past are much, much easier now, you know, in yeah. a sense, that information stuff, you know, as you say, if you're an accountant, whatever else, that kind of thing. actually most of their jobs are automated, you know, much easier than they were before. <laughs> they used to be, you know, work used to be a lot more. Yeah, you need all that like, information yeah. in your head. You need that information in your head to be able to reel it off, you know. I mean, I used to work with someone who used to know everyone's telephone numbers off by heart. So My if grandmother you, still does that. It's, yeah, ter- well, it's terrifying. I mean, it's, it is terrifying. It's, it's and, amazing, it's, but it's, I, I think it's terrifying to think about how we're losing that ability more than anything. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's a couple of different ways of thinking about it. I mean, I, I, I always thought about it. It's terrifying the fact that you're using up your brain capacity for that information, for something that you could, you know, just quickly look up in an instance. Yeah. You know, he, he, would, he would be, you know, it would be someone in the office and he'll be like, oh, yeah, it's 857 or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, my wow. God. Like, like wow. Like, I mean, incredible. But the, the thing about that is, the example of that is, is that kind of stuff, you know, I mean, that's, you know, a bit of a um, trivial example. But that kind of information at the top of your head was, you know, incredibly valuable in work, you know, in yesterday. Yesterday work was like that because it was like, actually, you, you couldn't just Google that information that quickly. Yeah. So actually the benefit and the power was if you had that readily available in your head, then brilliant, you know, business moves on quicker. You're advising your client much, much better. Right now, actually, decisions and things can be that much more complex that you need to go away. You need to Google, you need to do this, whatever else, but you're getting access to a lot more information and insight when you do that task, you know, yeah. because, you know, it can be done at the desktop. So actually, you know, when you look at it, the real value becomes, all right, well, what is the stuff where, you know, the information is fixed? We know we can get access to that information. How do people think about around a problem that the inf- when the information isn't really there and available, readily available, the stuff that hasn't been done before or such? That's the, that's the magic of, of kind of like, you know, kind of work and value, really. 
which is certainly what interests me and where I think the value is and, and how we try and why our business exists really to deal with to deal with slightly more complex problems that people haven't got obvious solutions for and try and work out what's the best combination of things to solve that problem you know and that, and that might be you're trying to make something more effective or you're you're trying to get into new kind of spaces new things or or you're trying to make it more efficient or you you know you just know that your business has got to pivot massively and you just don't know which direction it's going to go in but it needs to be something and you've got a load of customers so you need to make something else relevant for those customers you know businesses like amazon i think have shown over the years in their existence how a brand can pivot into completely different spaces yeah. and how you know traditionally you had to have a reputation for doing that or thing quite something. well otherwise people yeah. wouldn't really really trust you but but because of technology and the way it is and people know that actually if they can you know if they can deliver a package to your home better than anyone else can then they can probably also deliver content to your tv screen better than everyone else can yeah. you know and it's like yeah i get it you know i trust them you know they 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 put the customer first and ultimately so whatever they do you know they're going to put the customer first and your experience as a customer is going to be you know probably better than any other rival com- company so therefore you're kind of like in yeah that's true that's so i think you've summed up really beautifully um so much to think about for me in terms of what am i wasting storing up here and what can i let go of um <laughs> just all destiny's child lyrics guys it's nothing <laughs> it's nothing that's scarily useful so i think i want to ask you this question i think you've spoken you know in many different ways about who it is you are really a strategist but i want you to specifically explain to me the um listeners what a strategist is from your perspective and in your world because I think you know strategists exist in different industries but for you what does that mean and how you know yeah just talk us through strategists do you know the strategist <laughs> yeah sure yeah there, there are a lot of, I mean strategists is, is it's a funny word really because it you know it, as you say in terms of in every industry there is a strategist but mm-hmm. they are probably doing potentially quite a different job from you know the strategist in the other industry but i think that there is there is definitely a, a thing that unites them you know so f- firstly the thing that i would say is that you know a lot of kind of ad agencies and even media agencies have have adopted the word but have limited its scope by mm-hmm. you know the, the people in those positions are you know ultimately if you're if you're a strategist in a in a creative agency your job is to write the brief ultimately and you know d- determine what the problem is the challenge all the rest of it but ultimately your your function is to create better work for that client and that agency. So you're serving the creative, you're serving the kind of creative brief. And, and that's kind of like, you know, how you're marked by, you know, whether you're good or, or bad as such. And if you're in a media agency and you're a strategist, you're doing a similar thing, but from a media plan perspective of trying to, you know, serve the, the buyers effectively to buy a better plan and come up with a better solution. If you are a business strategist, you are, you know, you're, you're, you're potentially coming up with something about, you know, creating a new product or a new innovation or, or talking to a completely different new customer base. The, the, the reality is, is that strategist is by title as such in terms of the role is, is the ability to be able to think through challenges and problems and piece things together to come up with a plan, to come up with a a plan of action. And, and in terms of, you know, it is, it is ultimately, I think, the core kind of like uh, differentiating skill of a strategist is that ability to be able to understand opportunity and opportunity decisions. So there are, there are always, you know, multiple decisions and routes and things and options. And it's that, it's that kind of like ability to be able to juggle those things in your head, but also on paper and things like that to go, yes, we could do these things. We could also do these other things, all these other things. What is the best thing for the objective of what we're trying to do? Yeah. yeah. How do how do we make those choices? Are you, are you gonna <laughs> say no, some no, more no, there? No. no. That's as much as it needs to be said, I think. That's quite interesting. Yeah. So within you know the barbershop, because you, you said you know you feel like a lot of companies adopt the word but limit the scope. How have you brought in this idea of a strategist into the barbershop, and how do you, I guess, how do you share your understanding of it with your partners and your I know if I would call them employees but you know the partners within the company I'd probably use the word based on your description of the company yeah I mean I think the first thing is is that in terms of employees and people like that you know I'm a little bit different again from a lot of people that you know are are strategy people who recruit for strategy people for example and this is probably again a little bit from my experience of 
you know, one of the things about being a strategist, particularly in our industry, is there's no obvious way of how you actually ever become a strategist because every job always asks for like, you know, four or five years experience of being a strategist, but you never see the job that is like junior, you know, like, so how do you get those kind of three, four years of being something when there's no jobs, you know, asking for one, two years or, or just the grad job for that position? It's just impossible, which is bizarre and, and ridiculous. And, and, you know, and I managed to kind of like, you know, jump, jump the, you know, let's say jump that ladder in some way by working for a company that, that ultimately took a bit of a risk, but that's all they, everyone was a strategist of that company. And I guess that through the combination of people that were there, they were looking for people from different backgrounds. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they took it upon themselves a little bit to kind of like make strategist a bit, you know, from you come from this slight background, you've got this skill, great, you can be, and then when you do it, you go through that, you, you do realize that, okay, hang on a minute, there's not some kind of course that you have to take that makes you a strategist. Mm-hmm. There's not some kind of like, oh, you must have had experience doing these things, and then you're a strategist. No, it's a way of thinking and a way in which you approach problems. It's the, it's the ability to ask why, you know, not just for why sake, but for genuine kind of interest in trying to work out why that thing works, and what are the component factors that make that thing work. And what's going to make something successful? Why are things successful? So it's an inquisitive mind, a curious mind that really, I think, is the fundamentals of being a strategist. So sometimes when you interview people, and that's why I've, I've recruited, you know, I'm probably one of the few people that have recruited people without strategy in their title to be a strategist, for example, because, you know, depending on how you interview and when you talk to people, you ask people certain questions and the way in which they answer the question Let's you know, know. Yeah. will tell you whether they're a strategist or not and and the way in which you do that is that you ask them questions that they're not expecting to have you know i mean i think that you know there's good and bad ways to interview people and i think that interviews are easy to pass for lots of people because you know people interviews can be quite predictable in a sense and and, you know, and average people can learn to pass interviews I mean, because yeah. you know if, <laughs> if you fail enough interviews you'll pass the next one because you'll know every single question they're going to ask you and actually you know my experience of interviews was you know when i first kind of got into the industry or was applying for a bunch of different jobs for example i mean whenever i've kind of applied to for a job i could pretty much know if i've kind of like you know got the job or not based upon how difficult or easy that interview was and this is the weird thing about it the more difficult the interview was the more likely i was to be given an offer which 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 sounds you know counterintuitive it doesn't make sense but but the reason was because Unless, you know, I, I had a CV when I started, you know, work or whatever. My CV was about four pages long of all uh-huh. the extracurricular things that I'd been doing that I thought was interesting and, you know, and should have, you know, they, they, they really I are. Think we, you know? we all, yeah, we all sort of start with this lengthy, I have, you know, served my community. I, I, I don't mean this, I thought it, but it's also, you know, you because you've done so much and part of being young is you are, and I think we lose this as we go older, is you throw yourself into so many things and you're like, oh, okay, I'm interested in this. I'm going to try my hand. And so you want to sort of share, like, I, I, I will, you know, I'm passionate is essentially what a four-page CV says to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. But, you know, I think that there's a lot of bad advice out there. So, you know, I would get advice and, you know, from recruitment people, they'll be like, oh, no, your, page, your CV should only be two pages long. Mm. And I'll be like, well, if my CV is only two pages long, then there's nothing that differentiates me from the next person whose CV is yeah. only two pages long. And I'm like, there's a reason why I, you know, set up a barbershop in my mum's you know, house. There's a reason why I run basketball tournaments when I was, you know, whatever's the biggest in, you know, in, in the UK at some point, outdoor basketball tournaments called Triple Double. You know, the reason why when I went to university, I was well, a sports officer. I set up a magazine. I did, you know, the radio thing. You know, there's, there's so many stories in there. You know, there's so many things and yeah. learning insights in there. And I was just a bit like, I need to tell this story. Otherwise, why have I done it? You know, I, I you know, and I, and I want someone who interviews me to know, oh, this person's got something more. They're, they're more interesting. They're, they're, they're more involved. Yeah. And, and if I had an interview where they wouldn't ask me about those things or they wouldn't probe about those things. They wouldn't go deep into some of those things, you know, cause I think if you saw my CV, then probably your reaction should be, Oh God, there's a hell of a lot on here. You know, like, have you fitted this all in? Like, you know, you're probably blagging it. You're probably just chuck some stuff on there that you didn't really do. Yeah. So if you're a smart person, you start to probe and start to ask questions to know whether I was just a bit part player in something or actually was that thing you actually, did you actually drive that thing? And you'd find out things like, for example, the fact that, yeah, I launched a magazine at university, but that wasn't because I wanted to become a magazine publisher. That's because I was pro- promoting a club night. And we realized that the way to get people to the club night was to basically write a magazine and put our club night as the hottest thing in town on the front cover and in the yeah. and distribute the magazine for free. 
and then suddenly it becomes the hottest thing in town you know so it was like it was that kind of, yeah it was that kind of logic and that kind of story that you wanted to tell you know in an interview you wanted to be like I want someone to ask me about that so I can you know I can explain you know how I think and why we did things and you know and in the interviews that you just kind of go into and people just probably ask you the you know the the standard questions you'd never get that kind of deep into anything and you'd walk out knowing that they've probably chosen someone else that you know just is a bit more like them or whatever you know and just you know likes 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 cricket and rugby or whatever you know so yeah so so you know when you interview people you've got to ask them questions that catch them out and, and probe and really kind of go into things and and find out how you know they think on the spot and i, I said that in terms of the most the most difficult interview i ever had which I passed somehow, which was very strange, you know, because it was a grad grad recruitment job interview and it was for Mars, actually. And Mars at the time were like you know, one of the biggest kind of paying kind of grad recruitment jobs. So it was like, you know, yeah. the gold, the gold prize of, uh, you know, graduate recruitment jobs. And I remember that the, the first stage was at somewhere in Nottingham, some hotel. And I, I got it all kind of wrong. I, I drove up there and and then, yeah, you expect a hotel, you just can like drive up, you know, park in the, you know, the grounds and, you know, and, and rock up to the hotel. But this was like a really kind of like in town center hotel. And this was, you know, in the days where you probably didn't have as much kind of technology to tell you, you know, Google, et cetera, to maps or whatever, to really work it out in advance. But anyway, I got there on time, but I realized I couldn't park on the grounds. I had to drive around town to find a car park. So I hadn't planned for that. And by the time I actually finally got a car park, you know, paid for it, all the rest of it. I was something like, I don't know, probably like 15 minutes late, 20 minutes late for, for oh, um, yeah, for the thing. And I got there and the first thing was uh, a psychometric test. <laughs> I think it was, no, actually, hang on. Was it the psychometric test? Yeah, I think it was psychometric test. So, you know, I went into a room and I was late, you know, as everyone else was in there and then had to start doing this psychometric test. So you're rushing through it and you know, the classic yeah. kind of psychometric test, like you're probably not designed, you know, not designed for you to finish it anyway. But I'm in there thinking there's absolutely no chance that I'm going to catch up and get through this. So you bash through that. And then I went into a room and had an interview. And it was one of the toughest interviews, you know, I'd ever experienced in a sense, because, you know, that the person showed no emotional expression or anything like that about, you know, like you got no feedback from them. But that was deliberate. You know, it was one chair in a room facing someone with a chair in a room. And they were grilling you about things that I knew nothing about. And you responding know, so, in no ways yet to whether yeah, or not yeah, you were exactly. saying the right thing, and the wrong thing. Been that's exactly it. And oh. it was like, should I carry on talking? Is this can I, you know, is this the right Are answer? You you want to hear or not? <laughs> that's exactly it, you know. And and all, all I learned out of that was because I got through to the next round, I was like, I must have been saying something right and something good, you know, you know, in the way in which and I think the thing I took from that is it wasn't necessarily about the answers I gave, but it was about the way in which I was thinking exactly. around the questions yeah. and the problem. Yeah. So just picking up on, yeah, what you said about the interview and I think approaching to approach the questions. And I think often we we have this feeling that we need to get the answer right, where it's sort of what the question or what the question questions sometimes are asking us to do is think around, you know, concepts of things and, you know, rethink, you know, an answer because an answer is always evolving the same way industry is always evolving. Answers to things are changing and shifting. And, you know, the answer to whether something is, you know, I, and this is going to be a terrible example, but remember the summer of the blue dress or gold dress sort of situation <laughs> where, you know, people were seeing two different things. I mean, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, it was a dress, but the color was based on perception. And what I don't know, I don't know what the science behind that thing was. I stand by it being a blue dress. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so people were seeing different things. And I think, yeah, often, you know, we're trying to have the right answer. Again, I, just, I did this with the blue dress thing. Again, there was no answer because everyone's seeing different things but that's the challenge I think many questions are asking us to do and I I want to bring this back to you know the idea of you know the agency and the creative agency because what you do essentially is you know have companies and clients ask you questions and you think I'm sure you've asked this question a million times what you want to see is a different answer and a different perspective on this and it's very generalized you know summation of everything the barbershop is but can you just tell us about, you know, the work that the barbershop does and, you know, what your goals are, I guess, for delivering within the barbershop for clients? Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing is, is that we have a different kind of perspective about how we work, how we problem solve, how we collaborate with people. We're very kind of open to collaborations because we know that the market and, you know, everything changes so quickly that, you know, when you come up with a solution and a thought, you want to work with the best kind of possible person or or agency that can execute that thing and you don't want to be limited or constrained by your your solutions because you haven't got the capability to deliver something 
you know, you, you need to know, you know, kind of what good looks like, which is our, our tagline also related to barbershops and cutting hair. But you need to kind of like, yeah, have the, the access to the right expertise. And I think that in this world at the moment, in terms of business, I think that's the, I mean, it's the most important thing, the access that you have to the right solutions to, um, to deliver things. I mean, you can get anything in the world, really, can you, you know, the price you want or the speed you want or the quality you want, if you know the, the right people that can deliver that, that thing in that way. Yeah. And, and so I think that, you know, in terms of the way in which we, we, you know, we work and we approach problems, we, we like to work with purpose-led or purpose-seeking brands so and we also talk about the ones that bring pleasure into the world so there are some products and some brands that we just feel like people want them to exist in the world you know they give them joy they bring them joy so we're like yeah we want to work on those kind of brands as well like um, like entertainment, <laughs> entertainment brands. yeah like tiktok yeah. And things like that. you know but i mean actually everything else it's like actually you know we, we strongly believe that you know most good businesses existed because at some point or another they had a great kind of purpose so even if you know now you see some kind of big big massive company they probably got there from solving a real kind of problem that wasn't being satisfied and solved before and they've taken it to a place to the right place by having this kind of purpose so i was hearing a bit of an echo i think most kind of like uh, successful businesses they they started and existed because they did well through existing because they solved a very kind of clear problem and they had a you know purpose in why they existed uh, a real pro something they had a problem with that they were like right we're going to solve this issue for the for the customer and i think that you know what happens a lot of the time is through growth other businesses get involved in the market and copy ultimately imitate what they do and their uniqueness and their sense of you know like real kind of novelty and purpose gets eroded and often i think you know the bigger the brand they sometimes get into positions where they they no longer seem that that distinctive and everyone's doing what they're doing and that's when they often need to rediscover their purpose and find a new reason to connect to you know, customers and provide more value to them ultimately. So we help, we call them disruptors of ambition. So disruptive brands that have something really kind of novel and different that just, they just need to tell the world about it. I and mean, we help them kind of scale. And also we help traditionists in transition. So big brands that have lost their way, that their market has been disrupted and they need to find a new, a new, new thing a new direction, a new way, a new sense of purpose. Yeah, so brands that we're doing a lot of work, for example, a brand in that kind of space is like Triumph Lingerie, for example, that we're working with on a global level. But we're, we're, we're currently doing some brand positioning work and helping them, you know, rediscover a stronger connection with women, basically. And and then, yeah, and then there's brands on, on the other side, like Parkinson's, for example, who are very kind of purpose-led, I guess, because they're a charity yeah. and what they do. But again, we're, we're helping them be a little bit kind of, I guess, modern in their objectives about, you know, moving them away from a brand that is raising awareness of the condition and, and how people are affected by it, but also making them a little bit more of an activist brand where they are, you know, they are ending Parkinson's. They are on this journey to end Parkinson's and being quite, you know, releasing kind of major breakthroughs and research and telling those stories. And, you know, that's the real kind of, the, 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 that's the storytelling real point of interest that they can engage with more people than the people that are affected through so yeah the what the way we work and you know what we do is we we work in a, in a way in which and the, one of the reasons why we call ourselves a creative company rather than just an agency is because we do agency services but we also do consultancy and we work with people on a consultancy level so we ticked up for example we work with their internal kind of brand strategy team and we we help develop their ways of working and propositions so they can better position and and connect with brands and clients and agencies. So every kind of client and relationship is potentially quite unique because, you know, often the door opens through some kind of media challenge and media kind of brief, but it can lead to lots of different places. If, if, you know, if we determine that creativity and communications and ideas and brand partnerships, things like that can actually solve the bigger problem in, in different ways. So it's not always just about spending media money. Yeah. I. I think, yeah, the layers of understanding what you do, I guess, from the creative side, but also the consultancy where you look at how brands are connecting with clients is like super important because, you know, we've seen and unfortunately, you know, we have to talk about the pandemic, COVID, people really had to, because you were basically just meeting everyone in their homes, you really had to connect with people on this personal layered level of 
are you speaking to me? If not, then go away because there's so much conversation going on. This We're all online at the same time now. So you really do have to have a connectivity that goes beyond just, I'm giving you this. I want to buy into you. I want to feel like buying this. I want to share it on my socials because I feel like it's so personal to me. I should share with everyone going on this thing. And I think we've seen some brands rise to the occasion. I feel like who recently... The Aldi social media handle with what was going on with the um, caterpillar was just sort of this fantastic, personable voice of mm-hmm. taking something serious and making people connect with it. Because, you know, one, food is such an important part of our lives. And we've, I think most people spend more time in their local shops in the last few months than anywhere else sometimes I just go to Tesco's because guys I'm just I'm like I need to go out and do something but I think that was a really lovely sort of take on a serious source of legal matter and that was really funny and refreshing to see but that's just you know a very very quick summation I guess of the sort of things you're talking about in terms of that aspect of the business my final question for you is just to talk us through what has it been actually starting and growing this business over the last um, 18 months because when I look at your roster of clients it's it's impressive and extensive and if you you know you said at the start of the conversation you started really running with things 18 months ago so what has been the reality of sort of running and scaling the business as quickly as you seem to be doing yeah the reality is there's you know there's pre-covid and post-covid I guess in terms of you know which covid has affected everyone in in certain ways I think that, you know, the certainly the COVID period has probably been, let's say, comparative, competitively and comparatively better for us than it has been for most people. But I think that's because of the structure and of our business and, and, and what we do, which is, you know, being less reliant upon just kind of marketing budgets and media spend. And actually with, you know, with marketing departments shrinking ultimately and their budget shrinking, what tends to happen is, and actually, so in, in the rapid kind of digitization of their services and things like that. And, you know, I think businesses quickly realize that actually the biggest lever they can pull is marketing to get people aware of, you know, when you haven't got the phys- you know, the, the high street just to be present in or, you know, retail partner just to kind of like prioritize your product in the right place. Then actually the the things that you have to play with are, are less and and marketing becomes a a bigger, more important factor. And I think that that kind of realization leads to dealing and working with potentially nimbler, you know, creative, you know, businesses that you don't have to be, you know, so kind of like, right, you know, get some big team, commit them, commit to them for like two to five years, and then, you know, have this massive fixed cost on your books. So I think that, you know, we've benefited from that in a sense. But also because we can work in a way in which reflects their model a bit more. You know, if they want to do a bit of in-housing, fine, we can help you, you know, set that up. If they want to suddenly deploy something in a different country, we can, you know, connect with people there on the ground that can do that. And also we can we're we're not we're very kind of like neutral in our recommendations. So we haven't got vested interest in recommending certain things, you know, which is often the problem with buying arrangements with you know with big agencies commitments you know commitments in place that legacy things and what the rest of it where you know if you're not a client of a certain size you're basically pretty much getting what they want you to get rather than you know what your, your business needs to get so i think that you know in the last the last year has been you know beneficial in that sense or whatever else i mean albeit it's hard and there's been different parts and whatever else that can be described in different ways but i think that in terms of the when we talk about business generally you know, I think that it's a really interesting kind of experience that I've had in setting things up, really, because, you know, it's really hard to plan things in detail when you're in existing employment in terms of what exactly you want to do. But working for myself is something that I've been thinking about for many, many years as such, but never really kind of like thought it was entirely possible or or just in terms of what kind of form it would take was always a bit of a debate in a sense. And as the years go on, because the market changes, you know, the proposition of what you would probably do has to change. So you're constantly reevaluating. Okay, well, could I do it, or you know, or what would I need to do it? The thing is, when I left my last company, you know, I set myself enough kind of time to, you know, really then completely think about things, but also to have conversations with the right people, to think about, you know, partnerships, investment, all the rest of it. And uh, one of the things and the benefits that I had from doing it when I did it, which is, you know, X amount of years in the industry, is you have a lot of people you can talk to you know, to get kind of like thoughts from about, you know, how you might approach something and get kind of like different perspectives and things like that. Also as well, you know, the benefit of doing it when I did it compared to, you know, if it was five years earlier or seven years earlier is again, technology has made 
so many more things easier than they ever were before whether that is you know office space and how you do that kind of commitment and that deal you know not having to lay down 12 months of rent you know or whatever or technology and tools so you know your, your accounting software your lawyer fees and stuff like that you know a lot more of that stuff has adapted to be much more flexible um yeah so your staff is yeah really changing so much for businesses yeah that's exactly and even things like you know creating your website getting going you know all that kind of stuff was, you know, heavy, heavy cost and time before. And actually, you know, you can move a lot quicker now, you know, and you can reach and connect to people. You can build teams much, much quicker. People are much more flexible in the way they which are working and technology is allowing you to, you know, communicate and work with it much, much better. So, so the thing about that was, I mean, all that kind of stuff helped a lot. And actually, when you talk to certain people, you get that kind of confidence because you get these tips and things like that. And suddenly you're like, okay, actually, you know, it's a lot less kind of daunting than you expect. And the investment thing was, was interesting as well, because, you know, I initially wanted to, you know, start off with investment and, you know, start off with a team of X amount of people and just get going from day one, get, get hit the floor running. And actually the advice I got, you know, on the balance of things was don't get investment unless you need to, you know, unless you really need to, don't do it. And actually I was fortunate in terms of that. I started to get clients quicker than expected. And then, so as soon as you start getting revenue in, then you, you suddenly realize that you don't need it. All right. Yeah. So yeah, just talk again about investment advice and how you made decisions around that. So my initial plan was to get investment, you know, start with a, a bigger team from day one. And all the advice I got warned me off just jumping into that as an approach and get an investment from day one. So I reconsidered that. And luckily enough, I was able to reconsider it as well because I started to get clients and I actually started to get revenue. So that enabled a lot of things to happen that the investment was was going to, you know, afford. And actually I, I did both I did both though. And I, I did pursue the investment route and I and I got three different kind of like investment kind of offers actually, for which I, I rejected them all in the end because by that stage there was enough coming in and I'd structured the business in a certain way that I didn't see see it as being essential. And I think that, you know, in investment is is potential problem. I, I personally think that a lot of a lot of time people overvalue the, the power and the value of investment. And actually you know, what is in my world, what is more important is, is access to things that are going to get you clients, you know, connections and things that are going to help your business actually get revenue, get direct revenue. So for me, that's a more important thing. I think that's one of the kind of the big learnings and advice that I would give most kind of people actually be kind of careful about just kind of getting investment and be you know, burdened by this kind of, you know, massive kind of debt, because when you set out to do your your business as well, you're, you're setting out to create your company in your vision and do things the way in which you you see things can work. And I think that if you've spent a certain amount of time in the industry or whatever else, and you probably quickly realize that actually you're the subject matter expert in a sense. So, you know, when you're getting advice from different people and stuff, it's like, well, they're not sitting in your shoes, dealing with your clients and seeing the world that you're, you know, that you're seeing. And it isn't just a kind of like a product business, which is just like you're making a product and you're selling and distributing it. It's a service-led business. It's a business with ideas, experience, and thoughts. And that is what we're selling. So so for me, you know, the investment thing, I didn't need money just to make more widgets or anything. I, I was glad that I didn't kind of go down that route. Not to say that, you know, at some point it might become important. Yeah. But at the moment, at the moment it isn't. But I think that in terms of the experience that I had, in terms of growing a business, the experience that I've had is... Um, highly values people that can help to advise your business and, and tee you up and bring you bring you leads and you know really at the end of the day i think every business when you start up you need favors you need people doing favors for you and yeah. being generous and taking a punt on you and trusting you and going right you know i'm going to be one of the first to be your client or to or to recommend you to someone I know who needs someone to service them. And that's exactly what you need to kind of get things going. You need those kind of real kind of allies for your business. And it makes a significant difference because after you get your first client, your second client, whatever else, then you've got case studies, you've got examples, you've got experience, you've got someone to hopefully, you know, refer to the other clients to, to say, All right, you know, we've done it for them, it works. And that's, again, one of the hardest things, because initially everyone wants to be like, oh, well, who else have you worked with and what's their been, been their experience? So for me, I was fortunate in a sense to do that first bit relatively quickly. So never had that kind of hurdle to kind of climb in a sense. And because of that, you know, things lead on to each other, basically. But it's not to say that it's easy. You know, it's it takes a, a lot of hours and work. And yeah, but that's business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely is business. And I thought like a consistent, you know, thread of conversation I've been having across, you know, the many conversations that I've had with people like yourself is that we shouldn't 
always run to investment first because I believe that you know right now when people look at the business space there's all this conversation about rounds and raising and acquisitions and exits and we forget that you know the foundations of business was revenue generating businesses and these are still the businesses that are really propping up much of you know the business economy and a lot of times like you said and like like you have you are currently proving it's our experience is there's weight in that, that is currency. And that's a currency that's so different from, you know, the monetary currency. It's the favors, the advice, it's the, you know, it's the people rallying around for you because these are things that build business. And I spoken to another founder who, you know, has talked about starting by just, you know, using what they had saved. And then now a few years later, going down the investment route. So it's sort of like, there's no one size fits all for how your business runs. Mm-hmm. But I think it's understanding what your business is, understanding what your value proposition is and saying, what do I like? And also, yeah, understanding, I guess, the heart of the business, because one thing that people forget about, you know, raising money is you're handing over some part of your business to someone. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And how can that impact and shape your business differently from your vision? So I think, yeah, that's really important. And that's awesome. I think, you know, we're going to end, you know, this section there, because I think that's a really beautiful place to wrap up. I love that you didn't talk about the perils of, you know, late night, late nights and accountants and setting up websites, because I find those parts of business terrifyingly hideous. But I want to go on to a second we call what's hot in industry and it's just a question where I ask you something related to the industry sometimes it's a stats but sometimes it's just a general question and today I think it's a general question because I had a little you know meander through your LinkedIn mm-hmm. I'm not going to call it a stalk when I see you know you write articles and you um, are talking about the industry and what people should expect and how businesses should be moving businesses talent and even the agency should be moving in terms of their approach to engaging with the world around them. So the question I'm going to ask you, and this is, you know, I'm putting you on the spot a little here, is when you look at the reality of, you know, and the future of, or the future of agencies, yeah, is there sort of like a reality every agency has to take into consideration when they look at how they move forward? So, you know, I know there's a buzzword of diversity and diversity hiring, but I mean, beyond, you know, just that general word, what is the future of business looking like that agencies have to take into consideration um, when looking to the future? I think the only thing that agencies have to take in, into consideration is that the reason why you are an agency is that you do the things that the client can't do. Okay. And, and, and I think that, you know, too often, I think in terms of, you know, agencies are trying to reinvent themselves to be a bit more consultancy like to be a bit more, you know, Accenture to be a bit more corporate in a lots, in lots of ways. And actually, the reason why we are in the creative industries and what it was before is because there are a lot of people that have got MBAs and and, you know, and, and studied hard and done accountancy and, you know, know the, the rational and the logical way in which businesses should run and work. But agency world, you're doing the slightly more irrational, weirder bit that can't be quantified yeah. so easily. The bit that is kind of like you know, the, the magic that, yeah, you know, that, that can't be explained so precisely and i think that you know yes we have to be effective yes we have to understand the 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 maths and and the really kind of like you know prove the case for things but we shouldn't let that overbear everything else because actually you know with with all the maths algorithms programmatic all the rest of it all that's doing is making things a little bit more intelligent a little bit more efficient a little bit more smarter but it's taking away the, the power of difference and differentiation it's, you know, everyone has the same tools. Everyone has the same kind of like, you know, automated buying system that's using the same algorithm to find the same people or whatever. And you quickly get to a position where you're, you know, you have to say, well, what's making a difference? What's standing out beyond that? Mm-hmm. And actually the thing that stands out beyond that is the person that thinks, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to rebel and I'm going to draw something that you're not expecting on top of this picture. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the Goya on the, you know, whatever you know that they're kind of like the defaced goyas that the chapman brothers did for example for example which is like who who on earth would do that you know like why why on earth would you do that you know there's a lot of clues in the art world like that in a sense you know when dali did his thing and you know in picasso it's like it's not because they couldn't do amazingly lifelike art yeah doing that and that was the commodity and and they had to break the machine and do something differently and that's what created its value and that's the same way that you know kind of advertising media communications and business ultimately works you're trying to find new stories new ways of presenting information that get people to go oh that seems exciting now and i want that i want something different and and i think that you know as agencies what you've got to realize is 
is the more formal you become, the more factory-like you become, the bigger you become, the more you're, you're just commoditizing what you do and the more you're replaceable with machines and tools. And actually, the, f- the fact and the essence of being an agency is that you can think differently, you can break the rules, you can challenge convention, and you can deal with that kind of tension of having different people in a building that somehow get on, you know? and create great stuff yeah amazing i love that answer because it's basically you know you're coming back to at the end of the day um, agencies are about the humanity of the business and you know as long as we keep the humanity and we keep you know that part the unpredictable part of ourselves and this is you know that's you know important to agency life and i love that I, i feel like yeah that's my good takeaway from just things don't always go to facebook marketing for your <laughs> for, for the source of your metrics sometimes how are people reacting you know look in the comment section and just see that response before you go to facebook and again very simplified roundup of what you said i'm just i'm gonna let you go soon dino but because this is beyond all my expectations i of course have to end this by asking you a question tied to expectations but i feel like with everything you've said, you've revealed another layer of yourself. You know, you talk about, you know, the basketball history you've had. You talk about running this newspaper. You've spoken about a barbershop. So what else is unexpected that we don't know about you? I can't look on LinkedIn and find any of these things. So is there one more thing we've just not found out about Dino in this conversation? An unexpected fact about Dino. So an unexpected fact, I mean, there is something that, there's a couple of things that are interesting that, you know, working on you know, behind the scenes, let's say, which are business related, I guess. One is that is probably to be expected to some degree because, you know, it's public, is that I launched a a proposition uh, company, let's say, called Diverse Speakers last year, which was about getting better representation at events, on platforms, on panels, and also, you know, even on things like this, like podcasts, wherever you need a speaker, actually, you know, and you want to diversify from your usual mix, that's what diverse speakers is for. It's non-for-profit. And it's just simply about connecting event organizers with brilliant speakers from diverse backgrounds. And that was just off the back of knowing that a lot of people were frustrated by what they would see when they would turn up to events, the lack of diversity. But also you you get a lot of event organizers reaching out from occasion going, oh, you know, it's so hard to find someone. And and I just knew that wasn't necessarily the reality. So yeah. there's that. And um, and off the back of that as well, we're soon to launch something very related. And I'm almost kind of like saying this, you know, pre kind of like, you know, public kind of launch, but it's um, called Diverse Boards. Okay. So, so this is a step up, which is about getting non-exec directors onto boards, you know, who are di- from diverse backgrounds. One of the kind of key things that, you know, we believe in about, you know, changing the picture of diversity in our industry and making equalities by having role models in the right positions that, you know, that are people like you. And again, it's a similar thing where too often you hear people say they just couldn't find, you know, the right people or whatever. And, you know, and you can look at it from my perspective and know that those people are out there. And actually, particularly for non-exec positions where you see someone coming from a different kind of industry or background potentially as an advantage to your non-exec team it, it takes away the excuses and reasons for not hiring someone in in that position so soon to launch that that's really 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 exciting really interesting we also do a number of things in the podcast kind of space actually including a podcast uh, search engine that i have kind of like designed and developed that we're um still in the little bit of the making of but um okay. yeah that's another kind of exciting different thing as well uh so i've given you a couple of things there I, I feel like the unexpected, so I, no, I feel like it's no longer an unexpected fact because I think what I've learned is from you to just have no expectations because, and that's like the best thing because you're throwing yourself into spaces that where you see a need, you're like, how can we fill this gap? So I think Dino's beyond expectations, you know, because he's going to see something and he's going to step in and try and do things. And I, I, I think that's been really, really important across this conversation to see that you don't look at you know the world and business as I'm focused on this singular thing but how how am I thinking about the world and how do I approach things because I see your journey as not just being you know a founder and within you know the agency space but someone looking someone whose journey is I want to make change in the spaces that I'm going to step in and as part of your changing not just the business space but the consumer space if that makes sense because you're like I want to go to an event and I know that I want to see you know, speakers that are representative of the world. So how do I ensure that that can happen, not just for other people, but for me, or, 
you know, we're in the podcasting space. The search, I, I'm really intrigued by the search engine project. I'm probably going to ask, send you a lengthy email just to like, be like, what's going on here? Because it sounds really fascinating. But I just really, yeah, I think I really just enjoy that about you because, again, I said throughout the conversation, you kept throwing in something new, something different, something layered. And I think the past, you know, the, the past Dino and the future Dino are very similar, but just taking different approaches and growing on each, growing each day on, you know, themselves to develop for the next phase and I just yeah I've really just enjoyed having a conversation with you sorry this was a weird ramble <laughs> yeah, yeah no. I just wanted one remark on that which I think is um really interesting is that I, I believe that actually one of the biggest kind of like advancements that we're going to realize as a, as a whatever as a planet is that you know we've always kind of like known to some degree but it's going to become more apparent that the things that we find very difficult the things that I find difficult the things that you find difficult you know, there are lots of people out there that find them very, very easy. Yeah. And and actually, you know, the value to them in doing that thing is is much kind of lower than the value it is to yourself for doing that thing. And actually what technology is allowing and networks and and this kind of like, you know, openness, transparency, even language translation, for example, is, is going to open up a whole other level of, you know, kind yeah. of collaboration is that if we can get better at matching people and problems, then we can solve things, you know, at, at an incredibly like a lightning pace compared to you know the way in which we're solving things at the moment the reason why you brought in the past to agencies and brands is because of the trust factor of that brand and the guarantee is to i know that if i work with this company i'm guaranteed a certain level of xyz yeah. you know the minute we can get that level of kind of guarantee and understanding and trust with individuals then we can and, and, and break up kind of complex projects into you know lots of multiple parts but they're managed kind of effortlessly through technology and, and people on top of that as a layer the, the whole kind of world's going to kind of like you know completely accelerate in terms of you know it's problem solving and that's really exciting i think i think that's incredible because more often than not you know when i talk about these things and, and the things that i do people often are a bit like you know how do you find time to do this and it's like well i find time by working with the right people that care and are motivated by that thing as well and yeah. actually you know, things are either difficult or easy, depending on, you know, the, How the you passion it. and the, the, yeah. Yeah, the, people, the people that you're working with. Let's end on that note, because nothing I'm going to say is going to top that. Yeah, so I think everything goes back to people, you know, it just goes back to people. It's the humanity, it's, yeah, and it's, yeah, nurturing the humanity of people and understanding where our strengths lie. And just, yeah, again, nurturing that and working to individual strengths. I really love that. I really enjoy speaking with you today, do you know? I'm going to let you go but before I do can you just tell us where we can find you or where you'd like to be found online yeah well thankfully there's only one Dino Myers Lamperty so if you google my name you will probably very quickly come to a point in the place where you can contact me you know LinkedIn easy I guess there's also in most social media platforms I am my name is the Dinosaur so at the Dinosaur spell s-a-w at the end and then the website the business website is wearetbs.com so if you want to find out more about the business and what we do and there are contact details on there as well thank you amazing thank you so much for joining me today um as i said it's been really just interesting hearing you speak about your passions your history your experience and your approach to life and hopefully we can continue this conversation offline i'm honestly going to send you a long email about this um platform. but thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening um again this has been beyond all my expectations and hopefully we'll see you at the next episode goodbye